The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909. 741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome back to The Influencers Edge. We have an interesting guest today, to say the least. We have Mr. Matt Cavanaugh. Matt, say hello to our audience. Hello. So, Matt, your biography is quite interesting. I'm going to have to read it since yeah. there's no other way for me to go through it uh, any any other way other than that. So, Matt, ladies and gentlemen, is on a mission to help others experience greater levels of financial freedom and purpose in life. Let's put a pause in that right there. How do you define financial freedom and how do you define purpose? Because everyone has a different definition. Mark Cuban probably has. Mark, if you're watching, I don't think you are. Come on the show. Matt, Matt, I was saying Mark Cuban probably has a different definition than, say, Joe Schmo or Jane Schmo down the street. So what is your definition of financial freedom? And then what is your definition of purpose in life? Yeah, so financial freedom would be the ability to do what you want, when you want, how you want, with whom you want. And, and so for that, like you said, everybody's going to have a different definition. Like even when I ask people that I work with, students, et cetera, what does it take for you to be free? Some people will say 10,000. Some people will say 20,000 a month. Others will say five. So it can completely range from anywhere from close to zero to hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, depending on who you're asking. And how do you define purpose in life? So purpose in life for me is about alignment. So for example... For me, I, I define things that are purposeful by the amount of energy that I get from and, and the amount that I get to serve other people. So that's that's for me how I define purpose is the value that I am to others. And then, of course, I like to lump that in with having complete alignment with, one, the things that I like to do, and two, the things that I'm naturally good at. But you also said the things, you had a third thing, I get it, the things that you like to do or and the things that you're good at. But you also said things that bring you energy. Mm-hmm. So let's pause and have a look at that. I've worked jobs that made me a lot of money, but I went home exhausted at the end of the day. And and I think this ties in later on to one of your interview questions you suggested about working hard. So what do you, uh, I'm assuming that's what you mean. It gives you more energy. You know that because what? Yeah, I mean, you you could literally feel it. I mean, you talked about being drained at the end of the day. There are a lot of people that are drained while they're still at work. Because the activities that they're doing are literally pulling the energy out of them. 
So I, I would say that, you know, in my early life, when I was working for companies like Staples and Office Max as a young person, I was counting down the hours. Then going into teaching, it was a lot better, but I still left the day fairly like low energy because of all the give that was required to the students. But it was like, you could feel there was a sense of purpose there because you were serving, but there still wasn't a complete alignment. Now what I do, I can work an eight to 12 hour day and leave the day with more energy than I even began it with. And so for me, that's, that's how I know that I've, I've stepped into some purpose. Well, you're a young little whippersnapper. I don't right? know, what are you, about 35? Dead on, spot on. Ah, okay, see, grandpa has, has some- Six sense, yeah. Six sense. You've sold over a million dollars in three different industries. What are those industries, sir? Yeah. So after I left teaching, I went to B2B sales and we sold an industrial service, uh, industrial laundry service on three to five year contracts to large companies, food processing companies, et cetera. And I did that for three and a half years. And of course, going from teaching to that, the income was quite a bit different. And so we started saving a bunch and started thinking about what the future, you know, would, would hold. And that's when it made sense to, to transition to real estate where sold over a million dollars of commission as an agent and then now subsequently in an in investment. So we're going to dive into that third part as well. Uh, let's see here. What happened there? There you go. All right. Let's talk about the key strategy and mindset shifts that can take years, if not decades off your retirement projections. But before we do that, so right now you're making your money on real estate rentals, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I have several- like Air, Are those like Airbnb? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. We have different forms of making it. So we have houses we rent out, like standard long-term rentals. We have rent by the rooms. We have a mobile home park. So there's a variety of different different rentals. Okay, so rent, so- but it's essentially, it's Airbnb. Uh, we're not doing short-term very often. It's more like mid to long-term, mostly long-term type renting. What, long-term would be would Like be your what? standard residential lease. Okay. So why is the message of hustle and grinding so detrimental to people's actual actually succeeding? Because everyone says, watch Shark Tank. Uh, on Shark Tank, they all say, among other things, you've got to constantly be grinding. You've got to constantly be hustling. And these are not people who are talking out of their ass. They're very successful people, any one of them. So what do you know that the people on Shark Tank don't? Well, I don't think the people on Shark Tank would disagree with me. I think it's a matter of framing and perspective. So as a, as a, you could see, the people on Shark Tank, they grinded at one point. They've become successful. Now they're sitting in a chair now, you know, you could argue they're still grinding, sitting on the chair, but they're now investing in companies where the other people have grinded, not them. Yeah. And so it's really a shift from a worker's mentality to an owner's mentality. And so the thing that I love about real estate is you don't have to go through the grind to step into an owner's mentality, particularly if you're educated enough to be able to handle it. So for example, there's a book that came out by Benjamin Hardy, Who Not How?, it, which is a phenomenal book that lays out, it's more important to learn who you should go to for something than how to do it. That's going to save you years of grinding. Yes. So in the real estate space, let's say you want to build a portfolio, $10,000 a month of passive income. You could do that with doing almost zero work yourself, other than just picking the team that does it for you. 
So you could pick agents and wholesalers that are going to find you the deals. Then you could pick appraisers that help you value them. Then you could pick home inspectors and contractors that help you value how much these things are going to cost. And then you could have property management companies that do the process, attorneys that structure your offers, accountants that structure your tax decisions. So literally the entire process of buying all the way to stabilizing assets that produce rental income is a pretty defined job description for somebody already in the profession. And so there are also strategies that when you put those and layer those on top of these professions, you could buy properties with no money out of pocket through creative financing and, and seller financing, things of that Let me, nature. Can I, pause you, can I pause you there? Absolutely. Yeah. When you say that, I believe you, that you can buy properties with no money out of pocket, yep. but there have been so many, forgive me for, so I, I don't mean to associate the word with you and, and sure in any way but a lot of people would hear that and say that that's too good to be true how mm -hmm. can you see these ads use i've made millions using yeah. other people's money look at my yacht and my bikini babes look at this bikini babe here's my rolex oh my watch by the way i have to get a new one i broke it so what do you say how do you understand what i'm saying for many people for me if something sounds too good to be true that means fantastic my paradigm gets to shift my box begins to open i can suddenly see opportunities that i couldn't see before because someone who sees further than i am is about to take me by the hand and show me so i love it i vet it but i love it i get excited about it yeah so so I'm guessing the question you're asking me is how is it true, right? To, yes. to show, yeah, yeah. So, so we've been in such an interesting bubble for the last seven to ten years, or maybe a little bit more, where the market was so good that the only way to buy properties that most people knew of was traditional financing with the banks, where you're putting down anywhere from three and a half to twenty percent. But like back in the '80s, when you know the interest rates were anywhere from like fifteen, thirteen to like twenty percent, a lot of people at that time were doing creative financing strategies. So instead of going to the bank and originating a new loan at 18%, they would go to the seller and say, hey, why don't I just make payments to you or make payments right. on your behalf? So Taking so back is, paper is what they called it. Exactly. So this concept is not anything new. It's been around for centuries, probably. And, and before there were even banks were more commonplace. That was probably the only way you could transfer properties. Obviously, I wasn't around back then. But it's just kind of the one of the more forgotten strategies. It's it's hitting the scene very, very hard right now because we're entering into a time similar to when it was popular before. So sometimes people forget, you know, four generations or four decades ago, not generations, four decades ago, this thing was normal. But because it's been 40 years since it's been normal, it's almost as if it's never been. There is a old there's a saying in the book of Proverbs. I used to be able to see it, say it in Hebrew. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. So just something coming back. By the way, you said that we're in a bubble. I've heard some people say there's a crash coming. Do you see a crash? I think there's, there's competing factors. So I don't like to look at things super binary in that way. It's like, well, what were the things that would lead to a crash and what would be the things that would hold it up? So far, there's decent employment, although there's major layoffs that are starting to happen. And so I think as the employment market crumbles, if it were to, that's a huge factor. Obviously, interest rates going going up so much, has it's really impacted our business. Like we have houses that are just sitting that wouldn't have sat before. So we're noticing a slowdown already. So it appears likely, like if I had to put my predictor, I'd say 75% chance we're going to see some hard times. But there, but there are some factors, like if the Fed stops raising interest rates, employment stays good, maybe there's some other things they do to stimulate the economy. 
we might have a delay of the inevitable. Like a good war. Exactly. Nothing stimulates the economy like a good war. Probably <laughs> with, sure. unfortunately, probably with Iran or somebody else's time. Right. We'll put up a fight, but that's injecting politics into this. Although politics mm. and finance go together. All right. Uh, by the way, as a creative entrepreneur, you now have properties that are going unrented. So that's now a challenge that yep. gets thrown right in your face. And as an yep. entrepreneur, you can't live without challenges and the unexpected, the unknown. Yeah. I was having a discussion with the other day with someone who's quite successful running multiple businesses. We were joking about that. If you want a steady paycheck and no yeah. uncertainty, yeah. go get a job. So yeah. how are you, if you don't mind, if it's proprietary, then we can skip it. But how are you handling that? Having, as an entrepreneur, having a, a lot challenges. of property. Yeah, property sitting vacant, that type of thing. Yeah. 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 There's very little, if anything, that I know that's proprietary. And so, you know, feel free to ask away. So we've had tenants die in our properties this year, you know, due to either old age or some circumstances. We've had tenants that just said, hey, I'm not paying you. So there's always those challenges. And so we obviously do everything in our power to move quickly. And so we notify the tenants if they're not paying, hey, you're not paying, let's move you out. We try and be pretty reasonable with them, you know, give them some options. Because most of the time, the amount of cost it takes us to get a tenant out with the attorneys and the process... Yeah. You know, a lot of times it's easier to say, hey, we're we're going to not collect whatever you owe and we're going to give you a thousand dollars to to move on. Right. So there's a lot of that type of thing of just trying to very efficiently get people who are unwilling to pay or unable to pay to other places so that we could fill ours with people that, you know, really want to be there. Because if if we're being very efficient and we're not always so, but if we're being very efficient with our rentals and collecting rent at the highest level, we're then able to provide better services and processes to our tenants you also i think what you're describing in a broader term is being agile as yep. uh, mentally agile which you have to be as an entrepreneur i don't care what field you're in or you're going to get crushed absolutely yeah yeah and there's just like a commitment it's almost like a virtue or, or some sort of value that you place in the fact that it's like hey i know i'm going down this path of ownership and one of the things that comes with the ownership mentality is the fact that all problems are you know, have a solution. They're there to be solved. And mistakes are not always the worst thing in the world. It's it's inaction that's the worst thing in the world. And then you make your best educated guess that's quickly. That's a good one. Say that again. Mistakes are not the worst, worst thing. thing in the world. It's inaction that is. Inaction. Yeah. All you overthinkers out there. <laughs> yes. Well, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons that they say that A, like the A kids in school are the ones that that don't do as well as the C students in school because the C students aren't so smart that they cloud their own vision. They, they are able to simplify. They're also not necessarily so scared of not being smart because they haven't been the smart one their whole life. And <laughs> so they're not so, this is now we're really getting gold. They're not so smart that they cloud their, the cloud their own vision and because they've never been smart, they're not so concerned about being very smart. Yeah. So, like, my identity that. is I've not smart. I've never heard yeah. that before. Hold on. Yeah. I've never heard that before. That's a gem. <laughs> That's a gem. That's something uh, I should put up on my wall. Don't be Love so it. smart that you cloud your own vision. So, um, you answer that one. What is the role of strategy? I just talking to you, I think I know what your answer will be, but go ahead and answer. What's the role of strategy in creating big success, great success? Oh, gosh. As opposed so, 
as yeah. opposed to tactics. First of all, can you please make the distinction for our audience between strategy and tactics? Definitely. So strategy is essentially like the direction and vision that you place on where you're going to go. So, so let's say we talk about, let's say your destination is you want to be living on the beach carefree. And in order to do that, you need $10,000 a month. Okay, great. Your strategy is the methodology, like how generally you're thinking about getting there. The tactics are like the exact how to's. And so you can change. And a lot of times they'll use the word methodology, you know, in there as well. So you can, the, the tactics to me are by far the least important part. The strategy is infinitely more important. And I'll give you like an actual example of how this played out in my business. I have sold hundreds of homes as an agent, great commissions. Our average commission was usually about nine or $10,000. So, I mean, lots and lots of money in commissions, but by the time you pay brokers, team members, marketing splits, taxes, et cetera, that number whittles it down quite a bit. And then I became an investor. And with the purchase of five homes, two of which I sold to buy the final three that we rent by the room, we went from zero passive income. And I only put out $100,000 to buy those two properties to where I eventually, by selling those two and buying three more, owned three houses, free and clear, that were appraised at $795 and rented for $11,300 a month. So on what I consider to be three transactions that covered five properties, I went from zero passive income to rental income of 11,300. Not bad. Not bad. When I compare that five, five houses to the over 500 houses that me and my team have sold, it doesn't even compare. So I had spent four or five years of my life, maybe six or seven years, if I'm not quite sure on the dates, but working my tail off, grinding it out. And then when my buddy said, hey, you got to go into investing, a, sh a simple strategy shift I mean, granted, I was using the knowledge I had from doing all those homes, but still it was the fact that I went, I mean, it, it's just, it's like, it feels like it's a hundred times more valuable to be an investor if, if you're strategic than it is to be a real estate agent. And not to say you can't be a real estate agent, but I think that's the role of strategy. And that's, that's the thing going back to your question about the shark tank is yes, you can grind. And sometimes that's the right move, but better strategy will, will beat out grinding any day of the week. Gotcha. All right. And I guess the last question would be, I'm going to turn the question around. First, I'm going to ask it the way you presented it and what you sent to us, but I'm going to turn it around. So why do people quit before they reach their goals? And as someone who has reached their goals, what is it that has kept you going instead of quitting? Let's take the second. We'll take both questions. So why do most people quit before they reach their goals? Yeah, it's a great question. And so let's 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 break it down if we can. So I'll start with myself. So I've quit on some of my goals. And I've quit on some of my goals a lot of times. Like I've quit on my desire to have a six pack, my desire to be fit a lot of times. So <laughs> to boil it down into a simple essence, usually what you want, the goal that you want is not as important to you as the desire to be comfortable or the desire to not have to exert. So that I think is in its most pure essence. But what I will say to maybe give more valuable information is that I think when somebody's goal is actually in alignment with who they are, it happens naturally. And so this has been more of my focus the last couple of years, particularly with starting the podcast and going more into the content world, is there are certain things that I just do because I love to do them. And there are certain things I do because they're in service of a goal. And so 
to the degree that the more of the things that I do in, in a day are actually aligned with things I would do naturally, like the better off I am, that's how you get the better ROI on your energy. And that's how you'll start hitting all your goals. I actually, am, I'm not a huge proponent of big goals. Um, so Why not? Alex Hermosi makes a statement that really resonated with me, which is a goal is a contract to be unhappy I, with yourself. Have you heard this one? I Hold on a minute. Oh, this is one strategy to do. You never do this on a podcast, but there he is. <laughs> I love yeah, this book. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, get this book. Yes, 100%. And, and so his statement about that, that goals are a contract with yourself to be unhappy until a desire is reached, like really hit me. And then you start to... Basically, a goal keeps you locked into the future and robs you of the present. And so a lot of people are now starting to really teach and, and put out there on social media that instead of attaching to your goals, you should attach to the processes, right? James Clear is pretty uh, clear on this, that it's really habits that form the standards. And, and Ed Milet talks about this a lot too, that, that then end up where you're going. So you can have a goal session to, to determine where you want to go because you need to know where you're going. But then the focus should be, of course, on the standards. Now, what I would add to that conversation is those standards should be things that you love doing. They should be things that that are enjoyable to you. And then all of a sudden, now maintaining standards becomes a joy and not a not a chore. Oh, hold on just one second, though, because let's introduce a different word. Let's introduce discipline. Sure. Sometimes there is a book I read. I think it's called One Thing or yeah. The One Gary Keller. Yeah. Yeah. And he talks about if you're going to take on discipline, it's a matter of habits that you reach will fatigue. We need to get him on the show that there's only so much willpower you can exert during the day. You get decision fatigue and will fatigue. So if you make something to a habit, usually takes around 60 days. You only need willpower for 60 days. Then it becomes a habit and you don't need to bother with it anymore. What do you think of that? I think that's true. I would say before even the development of discipline, because like, okay, so let's think of the, the person that we're trying to reach. Like uh, one of our avatars, I want to help people with uh, who was where I was at when I was a teacher, right? Like struggling, grinding, not making very much money, not super happy with the overall picture, wanting something different. And I, I failed myself quite a bit in those years. And so like I've developed a lot of disciplines now and discipline is an incredibly valuable thing to have. But I would say in the early days, particularly, if people focus on alignment, they they will develop automated discipline in those areas, and then they will have success. And then they can decide once they have success, to what degree do they want to continue to add additional disciplines to their life? But so by alignment, you mean alignment with your purpose. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And purpose then has to be aligned with who are you? Who are you? Yes. Why are you here? Who are you? It's a person with what purpose will tell you what you need to align with, which will yep. help create the discipline and the actions and the habits. So this begs a deeper question. Wow, we're really going to dive into some love this, man. Here. Yeah, yeah. You you think deeply, and you're you're not just a smart guy; you're a wise guy. Thank you. uh, I don't mean it in the mafia sense, <laughs> right, right? And what did we say? Did we say it uh, off air? You're 35. 35. You're you're a whippersnapper. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so what, um, how do you think, or what has been your way of discovering who you are? Because that changes. You have to be aligned. You're aligned with your purpose, correct? But that means yeah. it has to be aligned 
with your sense of identity. If you yeah. don't know who you are, then you can't have a purpose. We're diving deep into philosophy. It's too deep a discussion. We can always edit this out. But no, no, no. Think- this, 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 like, this is the most exciting part, right? Like, so I'm so glad we're going here because I told is- you it's a different kind of podcast. So I'm going to interrupt. Yes. I'm going to go off script and yes. do what I think is interesting. I have spent an immeasurable amount of time and energy on focusing on like learning who I am and what, what I can do and, and the value in the world and studying others. So um, I've never been diagnosed, but I wouldn't be surprised if I'm not far off from being on the spectrum. And so, so in other words, like when I relate to people, it's not the way that most people would in the sense that like they could truly feel people's, you know, emotions. Like for me, it had to be a little bit more learned. And so I'm a little bit more analytical in that sense and, and intuitive. And so as a result, it took a lot of study, like, you know, through things like the disc and Enneagram and these different things that help me to understand like what motivates people and, and how are they, you know, making decisions. And in essence, that gave me a really good sense of who I am. Now, identity is interesting because it's something that you have, but it's also something that's malleable. You could change your identities. So identity changing as you mentioned, in its most like easy form is like, okay, 42 days, James Clear says 60 days, Gary Keller says 90 days, like if other people say, but within 90 days, I think almost everybody would agree. If you do habits and you do certain ways of proclaiming over yourself that you're a certain way, usually your identity changes within 90 days. But that's still a lot of work that requires the discipline of changing your identity, which most people still struggle with and fail at. And so this is the reason that I, I for myself even, started just like, not saying, what do I want to be? But at the beginning, just say like, what, like left to myself, who am I? Well, I'm a person that loves conversation. I'm a person that loves thinking about philosophy and numbers and analytics. I I value freedom. Uh, I value financial freedom, thought freedom, freedom over my time. And those, so those are the things that started to come out of it. And so then as a result, then I said, okay, well, what, what identities do I have after I had studied for a while that don't serve me? And well, loving newness all the time can be very counterproductive to being successful. Oh yeah. Oh and, yeah. So can excessive creativity. A hundred percent. Because yeah. if you looked around my office and I, this is why I have a green screen here, ladies and gentlemen, this is not my office background. <laughs> right. You'd see this place is a mess. Mm-hmm. And, and so this, I'm going to make this into a dialogue here, not just an interview. I have always yeah. said for every great talent, or every great asset, there is a corresponding and equally great cost. Mm. So if you're super creative, it can be hard to become focused on doing the one thing over and over again, Yeah. just as an example. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. The example that I like to give is like your personality, like your, the block of who you is, is like Play-Doh. And so you can manipulate the Play-Doh. And let's say you take a stencil that has holes in it and you could press that stencil down on the Play-Doh that is the act of specializing. You're going to have certain things that pop up in abundance, but you're suppressing other things in the process. Wow. So like to the degree that I become focused is to the degree that I'm tuning out new ideas. And at some point, not only will I not have very many ideas, but I won't, I'll actually stop becoming good at working with ideas. And, and so you can see that the personality development, whether it's nature or nurture, at the end of the day, there's people at 30 or 40 years old that have suppressed certain things. And that's why you have people that are almost incapable of coming up with great ideas in like a visionary sense. And then people like me and probably you, where it's like, there is no shortage of ideas. There is just shortage of execution, shortage of focus. That's why we have, that's why 
we have team. There's another great book. See, this turned into a discussion between you and I, not an interview. And that's what I love doing. Uh, there's a great book. And in that, I forget, I think it's Blue Ocean Strategies or Who's, oh, driving, cool. the, who's driving the Bus. Or, but they say, before you decide where the bus is going, you better decide who you want on the bus. Mm. Have you heard this analogy before? Yeah, yeah. So it's basically that your team is more important than the destination. Yes, yes. And so this is why, and I think if you're going to be really good as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to have the clarity and the courage to put your ego aside and say, look, I just suck at this. I need other people to do it and to release control. So where are you on that scale? Are you able to release control and say, I suck at this and let my team do it? Yeah, I've really struggled. Um, I, the release of control is not not as much my struggle. I actually release control too fast. Usually, my struggle has been in in I think the wrong philosophy of who the right people are and what the right structures are for me personally. So I don't know if you've read the book Traction um, and Rocket Fuel, but but in those books they reference the genius with a thousand helpers, and so and that's not a compliment to the genius you know, who's the business owner, right? That's like, hey, you've hired a bunch of yes men instead of the people that are going to properly challenge you. And so I've always believed, I think in error, or in, in error that hiring people that you really like working with is going to be a long-term solution. And it's not that there was no attention paid to their skill set, but I, I'm starting to realize that the companies that go from zero to a lot really fast are the companies that hire already proven talent and figure out how to how to make the cost work as opposed to hiring people that you love working with that haven't proven themselves yet and then figuring out later that maybe they have what it takes, maybe they don't, so to speak. Maybe I have what it takes, maybe I don't. So I would say this has actually been a very uh, long evolution for me in learning how to build teams properly. And so the companies that we have now are very small and very intimate, which is something that I prefer. Um, but I, I've always preferred very profitable very profitable, um, streamlined, smaller entities than trying to build something big. But that's probably because I have so much more I could learn and grow in as far as, you know, the building out and selection of a team. Here's one for you that I didn't expect to ask. It's from my niece, Vanessa Van Edwards. Vanessa is a two-time bestselling author. If you haven't, have you got, have you heard of Vanessa? Uh, I don't think I have. No, she wrote a book called cues it just came out mm. brilliant book but vanessa says this is a great conversation starter at a party instead of saying what do you do say what does it take to be good at what you do mm. so that's my question for you before we wrap what does it take to be good at what you do yeah so i guess we'd have to define like if we're talking about the podcast or real estate investing but for real estate investing it takes being a good decision maker all you know the only skill that i really would have to possess to be able to be a great real estate investor is the ability to make good decisions on people and good decisions on properties. And that's not taught anywhere. No one right. teaches how to make good decisions. We're yeah. taught how to be charismatic and positive thinkers and visualize our goal. We could have a whole podcast on that, bring you back and talk to you about that. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So, and then as far as a podcast, I'm sure you're intimate and I'd love to get your take on this. It's just the ability to ask great questions. Yeah, I think that's true. And also to engage in a conversation with the other person and give your own out, out, output and to really get curious about 
the other person and draw them out, not just talk about the questions that they put on the table, as you see we've done today. Exactly. Thank you so much for Thank being you. on the show, Matt. You've been amazing. Now, I know people after hearing this are going to want to find out more. So how do they find out? First of all, how do they subscribe to your podcast? And by the way, I'm going to be a guest on that show, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Freedom Chasers podcast, they can search it in YouTube or on Apple. We have a link tree as well, which is just link tree forward slash Freedom Chasers podcast. And then they can get directed to our free Facebook communities or uh, if they want to work on a deal with us, that type of thing. And uh, the real estate investment side? Yeah, exactly. So if they go to our link tree, All right. they could join in our Facebook group and message us directly. There also is a, a link they can click if they have a deal that they want us to help fund or partner on, they can send it to us to, to evaluate. Got it. Matt, thanks for being on the show. And we all will see you next time on The Influencer's Edge. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1. 909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack in sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on The Influencers Edge Show.